Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. Well, in the 18 months that Sonny O'Sullivan has been coaching us here on An Irishman Running Abroad, I think we've all learned one huge lesson about running like life in that it's not a game of perfect. Uh, What's right for you can be a nightmare for someone else and even the most disastrous experience in running may have a lot of positives in them when you pull back the lens and have time to massage out the muscles afterwards. Honestly, though, (laughs) it's hard to feel that way after the hames I made of my first ever road race this Sunday in St Albans, the Fred Hughes 10 mile road race. But we will get to that later on. We will also take a trip around the parishes as always to see how our listeners are doing with their running across the world. There is, of course, Sonia's travel related tip of the week, which is kind of fitting, Sonia, because I guess you're about to move there from the West Coast to the East Coast this week. Yeah, just for a quick trip, um, it's it's kind of nice to have a break. Um, you know, for a while, you don't want to go anywhere because you're settling in and, you know, you're getting comfortable where you are. And so the first track meet that some of the athletes went to Texas, I didn't mind not going and kind of holding the fort here. But next weekend is the Milrose game, Games in New York, which is well known to many people from, you know, many great races by Eamon Coughlin and Marcus O'Sullivan, Frank O'Mara down through the years. It's a little bit different now. It's more like a normal track meet, but it still has that, I suppose, thing about it, the attraction of the Milrose Games. It's got the history mm. and all the great athletes who've run there. So it's probably one of the biggest races of the indoor season for American athletes, even though it comes really early in the season. Uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to go there. Um, to have a track meet indoors in New York City. So, yeah, really looking forward to packing my bags and uh, heading east for a couple of days. Yeah, lovely stuff. And you obviously would know that side of the country a good bit better. Does it bring back memories of your time in University of Villanova? uh, Or is it just a completely different world now? Oh, it does, yeah. I mean, I'm actually going to Boston first on Thursday and um, one of the girls, Alexa... Ephraimson is running a mile there on Friday night and um, I'm going to link in Marcus O'Sullivan is going to be there as well he's bringing up a few of his men's team so it's at Boston University and so of course my first thing about that is I'm thinking is that the same track where I ran Mm. (laughs) way back in 1991 I ran a world record at the time over 5,000 metres and it was kind of out of the blue it was a surprise it was unexpected by me and by everyone around me but it turns out that it's possibly a new track I think a new facility they call it (laughs) these indoor tracks over here they refer to them as facilities so if you break the record it's a facility record and they go what the hell is that (laughs) it's just an indoor track record but um yeah so I'm looking forward to going there and you do have memories of Villanova but it was such a long time ago that Mm. you forget a lot as well and um, the last time I was in Boston was for the Boston Marathon, actually, in 2008, I think it was. Yeah, I probably have good and bad memories of that race. It's a tough run, that Boston Marathon. 
So yeah, really looking forward to going back there and catching up with Marcus. And yeah, you do have memories of the East Coast and it's very different to the West Coast, the East Coast. Um, and at this time of the year, it's freezing over there. So it take it would take, it'll be quite challenging to, to pack properly, I think, for this trip. Absolutely. Um, I mean, when I hear you say, oh yeah, that's the track where I broke the world record. It reminds me of exactly <laughs> how far away your experience of running is to mine and to most of our listeners. I think I said this to you a while ago that sometimes I imagine the challenge you face in trying to coach us, the listeners and the listeners to Irishman running abroad is like Tony McCoy trying to explain to a kid how to ride a pony. <laughs> I, <laughs> you were riding a thoroughbred. You're the vehicle that you had at your disposal to break world records was, you know, a finely tuned beast. Now, ponies, if anybody knows anything about ponies, <laughs> they are a completely different uh, creature. They're not even they're not even horses. My running animal that's inside me, I don't know if it would even be a pony or if it would be a donkey, uh, but it definitely... <laughs> has its own mind and I feel like when you say tough race at Boston, I now know when people say that's a tough course, what that means, because it feels crazy that this was my first ever road race after a year of doing this and just how much different the whole experience is to a year of just running around willy nilly doing 10 miles here and there and thinking I was great. The race experience to start with is just so different, is it not? It is, yeah. It's uh, from the minute you pick up your number and you start pinning it on you, it becomes an event, mm. and it's slightly different to anything you've ever done before. And I think your mind kind of knows this, mm. and it doesn't matter what what level of race you're lining up for, and. It's that moment before they shoot the starting gun when everybody is kind of frozen on the spot before they're set free. Yeah. And there's like, it's a kind of fraction of a second with the thoughts that can go through your head <laughs> as you're standing there. I mean, I'd love to know what you were thinking. Yeah, or I'm delighted feeling. to hear you had crazy thoughts too, because yeah, mad stuff goes on. So what were you thinking? Or what was, your, well, what was the, the thing that you can remember most that you were... <laughs> going through your mind and trying to answer in that very short time. Yeah, well, you know what? It kind of reminded me of my first days doing stand up comedy in that you're arriving into this other kind of world, this planet of people who are completely devoted and obsessed with this thing, rocking up to the start line of the Fred Hughes 10 mile road race here in St. Albans at the weekend and seeing all these kind of middle-aged men with the tiniest shorts you've ever seen in their alpha flies <laughs> and singlets bouncing along very seriously warming up and you're going what the hell is this i just couldn't kind of wrap my brain about around exactly how little fun there seemed to be in it and you know no so was there yeah. 
less less fun than the park run did you think did you notice a difference a shift kind of in the mindset and the way people were then well you see i did bump into some listeners and some friends and i guess i started to kind of get into the vibe of you know this is about taking part and you know having a day out and then i started to you know see that there is multiple layers to this and those dudes that i was seeing who were looking super serious were in that first group but as you're lining up to go i think some of the thoughts that went through my head were kind of frantic you know <laughs> i was like <laughs> i was like oh, what have i got myself in into firstly because i thought to myself and i'm sure other listeners have had this experience I hadn't checked the course. I hadn't cycled the course, walked it or driven it. So I really realized on the start line, hold on a minute. I have no idea where I'm going. (laughs) The slight moment of panic kicked in when I was like, some people have mentioned hills. (laughs) And I had no real consciousness for what hills meant, you know, as an Irish person who knows hills, who've hiked hills back home, you think English people don't really know what hills are. <laughs> we know what hills are. Uh, I guess I was going to learn a harsh lesson there. What kind of thoughts w- would go through your head at the start line of these things? Well, uh, how close were you to the front line? I, <laughs> I'd say I was a while away. I think that I underestimate. I I deliberately overestimated how long the race would take me, so that there was no chance I would be in a kind of a sprinting takeoff group. Uh, I think my fastest ten miles is like an hour twenty. I think something around that that mark. Maybe yeah. Maybe I don't know. Maybe less than that. But uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to overestimate how long it would take me so that I would feel good about myself taking off the group that I was in. So uh, not quite a million miles from the start, but a while away. Yeah, because that can have an impact, I think, on how nervous you get as well, how close you are to the start. And then sometimes when you're not close enough and they start going and there's people in your way and you can't get past and it takes you a while to get into your normal running stride, mm. then that can be frustrating as well. So that you've got all these kind of distractions and then you're questioning, oh, should I have started somewhere different? Did I not trust myself? Did I should have been up a bit closer to the front? So I think all that kind of stuff takes a bit of figuring out for you, especially, mm. you know, where you want to be, how you want to start. And I think this course, it didn't really allow you to get a true kind of result, a true um, measure, I suppose, of where you're at right now because of the undulations and everything. So because of that, then you have to weigh the race up, not by how long it took you, but maybe what place were you in the race? Um, I haven't actually checked exactly where I finished. All I know is this, Sonia, that uh, (laughs) at the beginning, you said to me, like I said that I was signed up for this, you said... Well, just treat it as your long run. That was the first piece of advice he gave me. The next piece of advice he gave me was don't worry about about it. Just take the first two kilometers as a warm up and then run the rest at like a five kilometer pace. And I, I, I had that mention of hills in my head and it was at about kilometer 10. One of the hills, this is the way I described it to Mikey afterwards. It was steep. (laughs) 
like it was a steep <laughs> hill. And he was like, yeah, but once you got to the top, you got to have a break, right? And I was like, well, that was the thing, Mikey. I said, I got to the top of it and it turned a corner and I thought, right, here comes our break. And then it went up again. <laughs> I got to the That's next. Never good. It's never good. <laughs> I, I, I got to the next corner, and it went up again. And I thought to myself, right, well, when I get to the top of this, I am officially toast. My legs wouldn't go once I was at the top because there was mentally there was a thing here of I don't even know if there's more after this, and that lack of a course recce meant that I was. My head was swimming at that point, I have to say. So we'd kind of been going upwards for a full kilometer. And I just was like, I, I can't, I couldn't get my head to go straight. <laughs> Never mind my legs. They just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know, well, where, what, what, not knowing what next was a big problem for me. So in terms of the mistakes I made, was not doing a course recce up there. Kind of, because I get the impression if you'd done a course recce, you might have questioned running it. <laughs> <laughs> never, 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 never. <laughs> so, um, I know what you mean. I would have, I would have had yeah, it in my I mean, head what's going down. There's two ways of looking at it. Sometimes it's good to know what's ahead. Sometimes it's good not to know. Mm. And I, I think on, on a hilly course, you're probably as well not to know mm. and hope for the best. But, which is probably what you did. And then you got the worst. Yeah. <laughs> there can't be any more hills than this out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't very much, when I was running races, go and do a course record. You kind of might look at a map. You might look at the undulations. But oftentimes when events do these course recces or check them out, because they're in normal streets, it takes forever. Mm. And, you know, you kind of think I could be doing better things than sitting in the car <laughs> driving around checking this out. And so often I think the best advice you can get is you talk to people who know and they give you a bit of an idea. And then they say, oh, yeah, there's three hills out there and one is a bit longer. And you say how long. And then so I think you have an idea in your head then how long the longest hill is. Mm. So, you know, when you, when you know, when you get over the top of the worst hill okay well that's the hardest thing over with and i think a bit of local knowledge and interpretation can be better than actually going out there and looking at the course yourself and analyzing it because at the end of the day you know you're going to do it anyway hmm. and i don't know you don't need to overanalyze it. if you know too much you might not get to sleep tonight before you'd be worried about it hmm. so the good news is that it sounds like these hills that you were running up were a lot worse than the hills in the Cove 10 Mile. Oh, no way. So when you come to, so when you come to Cove, it'll probably be easy. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I'm just describing them too, too, uh, uh, too, in too grandiose terms. But I did try to find that local knowledge. It's so funny you bring it up. But uh, I was getting a lot of English people tell me it's undulating, but it's not mountainous. And... <laughs> that, that hill you just described sounded like it was getting to the, the mountainous, mountainous category. It definitely felt that way because uh, I felt like sometimes they were saying these things to me to calm me and, you know, that I wasn't getting like, you know, the way you can then look at an Irish person and go, now 
telling me the truth. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's what you're telling me to relax. But tell me the real story. Uh, so a lot of them were like, oh, it's fine. You know, you'll be fine. That 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 kind of information isn't super helpful. I don't feel like I hit the wall, inverted commas, but I definitely tanked, if you want to put it that way, that, you know, the, the tank ran dry. And that was some that's something that's never actually happened to me on any training run. And when I say at the top of this show about making a hames of a run or having a bad experience, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have been there where you're it's actually more your head that hits the wall that uh, I had to walk for a bit, which was never the plan. And there's a certain amount of resignation and failure within that. Even the lovely people that would go by and go, come on, mate, not long now. You can do it. You're still going. Oh. <laughs> It's a slap in the face having somebody say that to me. It's kind of in race. It, but you it, did say, yeah. Did you walk through the water station? Was it? I did. Yeah, I walked. So you walked. Well, I... that's that's not a bad thing. There is. I heard there's some fellow who does marathons, and that's he's he does this. He walks through all the water stations. So he grabs a drink, walks through. You get in your fluids. You're mm. having a mini break, and then you get going again. Mm. So. It's kind of a productive stop. Yeah. So uh, it's not always a bad thing to walk, but I think then that's a planned walk in your head. Mm. So you don't then feel like you're giving into a walk, whereas you probably felt like, oh, this is a run and a race and I'm not going to walk. Mm. Well, but sometimes uh, if you think it's going to help you, then it's worth doing. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, yeah, I'll be honest worth- with you. There was a bit of in-race panic going on. And I wondered if you if you had any experience of that or what you say to people that have that, because we, you know, we we put this out to the group, the Irishman Running Abroad Strava group, which is a, obviously an online group for anyone who listens to the show to meet up and get some support in your running journey, take part in some of our uh, virtual events with an in-person event in London this Saturday at Lee Valley Velo Park. I'll be uh, doing a tune up race for my attempt to break 20 minutes for 5K. That's this Saturday. You can uh, join that event and get a little medal for yourself and the whole lot by going to runthrough.co.uk. But in the Strava group, I put it out there to people and Sharon Cantwell got in touch and she said, I've been struggling mentally during races, particularly during my last two indoor 1500 races when I wanted to step off the track after three to four laps. Is there any cues or advice Sonia has to rid me of these demons during races? And I really related to Sharon's question here because it does feel like demons. It's all the the negative talk in your head. And Sharon is adds to this it, it, that these particularly plague her when she begins to fall off the pace at all. So what what would you say to Sharon there, Sonia? Uh, I think you have to set yourself some you know, realistic expectations and then you have to have some parameters to fall into. So, you know, it's much easier for an indoor race to measure this than for an undulating hilly 10 mile race where you don't really know, you can't, like every mile is different. Mm. 
So it's very hard to measure your effort compared to what you're capable of when the hills kind of throw things out of perspective altogether. So I think, you know, when you're setting off in a race, you have to, okay, well, what am I trying to achieve here today? And I think for a race like you were in, it's a bit more like a cross-country race in that it's not very measurable in the kind of, you know, linear fashion where you have a set pace and you're going to stick to it and hover around that because it wasn't realistic to do that. So for an indoor race, it's much easier to do that. And sometimes you find people will be overreaching. So they're trying a little bit too hard and they get themselves into oxygen debt or they're kind of beyond the level that they're ready for too early in the race. And you get to the point where you can't cope anymore. And the only way to cope is to slow down. So I think you have to be a bit more measured in your planning Mm. when you do something like this. So, for example, in your race this weekend, your 10 miles, if you were to look at the results, which I'll have a look at later on, and um, you look at the people who are around you, and then you can kind of get, and even then I'd go and check out, okay, what other races do these people do? Or you might find someone on Strava who is nearby you. Mm. And... um, see what they do and you kind of see where you fit into the race and then the next time you go out if you've got similar people around you then you're trying to keep up with people rather than the clock yeah and it becomes a whole different perspective when you're focused on competing rather than you know racing the clock because the racing the clock is it's a bit ambiguous really because you it's limitless like there's no limits there you can keep the clock. The clock is always going to beat you, whereas people are not always going to beat you. And, and I think that's the thing. I think you, you were asking me this question about how people are in bits at the finish line, you know? Like, <laughs> like is that, what's it all about? But a lot of that comes about in the last 400 metres. Yes. So people may have had a controlled race, but then they see the finish line and there's this excitement and energy that you just want to get there faster than anybody who's close by you. Mm. Well, this is what's Tina's so, observation. She she was down there at the finish line with Mikey and saw all sorts of things, including a woman who berated her husband for not getting the crossing the line photo. <laughs> So much so that she forced him <laughs> to climb under the barrier and let her stage her finish again. <laughs> she ran across the line again with the fists in the air so that her husband could record it. And it did make Tina think, what is going on here? She was seeing people crossing the line, Sonia, who were in need of medical assistance. And I don't think either of us thought about it that way, that really what those people had done was run a very good race and then emptied the tank for the last 500 meters. Yeah, that's it. That's all it's about is just getting past a few more people, you know, mm. <laughs> a few more places higher. And you'll find that most of those people who, you know, they look like, you know, they can't run another step when they get across the finish line. They actually recover pretty quick. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just that you've got that you've got to that moment where You've given everything you got the last 400 metres. It's like running for the bus nearly, you know, you're just huffing and puffing. But you can't have run 10 miles acting like that. You must have had it in some kind of controlled way. 
But then that last little bit, it's the finish, the sprint for the finish line is what gets everybody. And sometimes people do it from too far out and they don't get to the finish line. Mm, absolutely. To sit you know, that's another level altogether. But um, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing how the finish line in sight can change people's mindset and perspective and they just kind of, you know, we were talking about this last night at dinner about how it gets, you practice all this good form in training and trying to get rid of all your bad habits and, you know, twist, you know, if you, if you twist a bit when you run or your hand flies out of it, you can practice this all you like. But when you're in that racing for the finish line, it's like, I remember my coach in college, Marty Stern, he used to say, it comes a point and you just got to let it all hang out. <laughs> and you just go for it. And it, so it's kind of that point where you don't care mm. what you look like or how you are. You know, you're just going to give it everything. Yeah, and you're just letting it have it. Uh, that carries over to like so many different levels. It's not just people winning the race, but all down the fields. You see people just, you know, just trying to get one up on that person next to them. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because in the last couple of weeks, we've obviously... For the past year, I should say, I've been trying to run 2,000 kilometres to raise money for Jigsaw.ie, our chosen charity partner. Now, it does turn out that on my I Donate page, <laughs> figured this out over the weekend, Sonia, that the kilometre counter has been stuck at 1,600 <laughs> since November. I contacted the people... <laughs> Contact the people at idonate.ie and they're they're going to rectify that because as far as I'm concerned, I've smashed the 2000 kilometer barrier and I was looking at this clock going, what the hell is going on here? We, we're in, in the middle of our next challenge, which is, of course, week four of the eight week breaking 20 5k challenge where Sonia's trying to help me to break that elusive 20 minute 5k mark. And we had talked about this book. Pete McGill has released that I recommend to absolutely everyone. Fast 5k, 25 crucial key and four training plans to running a better and faster 5k and he had talked about this thing that you mentioned about effort versus time it's come up a few times but I definitely made that mistake of looking at the watch and going oh I need to make that number be this number and not thinking well what is my effort level so I had it in my head that five kilometer pace is what I need to be running and I was whizzing past people for about, as I say, eight kilometers. I seemed to be just passing people. That's all I was doing. Uh, and then, of course, the, the hill came along, which is, you know, the kind of story of this this experience that uh, looking at a watch isn't how you run a race, is it? Uh, actually getting in tune with what you have in your tank and how much effort you're putting in might be the biggest takeaway from this. Am I way off on that? Well, you mentioned something about did you eat the wrong pre-race meal? Well, that so why did, did you yeah. that, that did occur to me at one point. I was like, am I out of energy because I switched to vegan food <laughs> two weeks ago? Our diet has completely switched to vegan. We had Dr. Alan Desmond on, convinced myself and Tina to go fully vegan uh, it's obviously been a big adjustment, but I haven't felt any energy depletion. If anything, I've felt more. But all these thoughts cross your mind. I have practiced my pre-race porridge and pita bread and bit of jam and stuff. 
but it does all of these thoughts come into your head that maybe there just wasn't enough fuel in the tank. That's the only reason I thought that. Yeah, I mean, it's unlikely that you'd run out of fuel. I mean, 10 miles, uh, I mean, maybe an hour, an hour, nearly an hour and a half of running at a, a high ever, effort mentally and physically. It might kind of, it would definitely make you question yourself a mm. bit because you're getting to the point where it's quite hard. But the key, I think, the whole way is to, you know, get your kind of... Um, you're breathing under control and so you have to be relaxed as possible. So if you feel like you're going out of the kind of controlled zone, you have to pull yourself back in again. And so your breathing is in control, is in sync with your heart rate. Right. And it's just, I think for the, for a longer race, you know, it'd be different next week in the 5k. It's going to be like a sprint next week. There'd be no controlling things at all. It'd be all out and just go for it. And you will be, operating at a much higher level than you were this week and you have to expect that yeah it's going to get pretty hard here particularly around 3k and i've still got you know 10 minutes or eight minutes of running to go well uh we have an awful lot more to get to about coming out of this and kind of surviving a tough experience uh what's funny about crossing the line at the end is obviously Tina and Mikey are there and you can see people high-fiving each other and you know Tina and Mikey were so amazing and I'm so so happy they came down even though uh, they had to walk across town to get there and Tina had a brand new pair of Dewberry boots that I bought her for her 40th birthday on she gave herself a pair of the worst blisters of all time so much so Sonia that as we're walking back to the car she is hobbling back to the car and I'm feeling pretty okay about myself. <laughs> and it did look like she had run the 10 miles rather than me. That said, I, you just can't explain to people how the bad experience went. One, because nobody really gives a shit. Two, because it's not really the worst time in the world, 127. There's plenty of people that were trying to do it in under 130. And you kind of feel a little foolish. So in the second half of our conversation, I'd love to talk about where you go from here, having had that experience that wasn't ideal. And plenty of you listening know exactly what I'm talking about, where you have a race or an event where you just think, oh, that wasn't perfect. How do we get back on the horse from here? That'll be in the second half of the conversation over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Sonia, it is a huge week. Uh, for us here at the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network because we launched something a little bit special this week on Monday. Let me play you a little bit of it now. Even without the challenges of the last two years, raising your kids not to be gobshites is exceptionally hard. I think we can all agree. I don't know anyone who doesn't need a little bit of help. I don't know anyone who wouldn't feel a little bit better hearing what other people are dealing with. So... Here we are, the first ever episode of Honey, You're Ruining Our Kid, the parenting podcast from an Irishman abroad. Children are so smart. If they know there's nappies in the house, they're not going to try. If you're going to toilet train your child, get rid of the nappies. We are struggling to get our 20-month-old to eat anything (laughs) that isn't pasta and bolognese. You know when your child is lying 
and how do you get them to be honest without sharing them with all the Catholic guilt we were raised with? <laughs> Sleep when your baby sleeps. What human can fall asleep for 20 seconds and nap for 30 minutes every two hours? None. Just babies. So stop telling me to do this. It's so hard being a parent that the last thing you need is more judgment. You're so aware you're being judged. So that is an exclusive series for the supporters of this show. The Irishman Abroad Parenting Podcast has begun. It is a fortnightly show. Yes, with my wife, Tina, there, who has 20 years of experience in severe behavioural issues, early intervention and childcare. 20 years comes to bear all the fun and all the joy that she brings to this. You're really going to love it. It's an exclusive series on Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. So come over there to hear that. And also, Sonia and I will go around the parishes, take a couple more questions and really talk about how we get back on the horse after an event like this. Thanks, Sonia, for the first half of this chat. One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress. 